everybody has a tribe out there and all you need are two or three or four people and you're unstoppable. Welcome to The One You Feed. Throughout time, great thinkers have recognized the importance of the thoughts we have. Quotes like, garbage in, garbage out, or you are what you think, ring true. And yet, for many of us, our thoughts don't strengthen or empower us. We tend toward negativity, self-pity, jealousy, or fear. We see what we don't have instead of what we do. We think things that hold us back and dampen our spirit. But it's not just about thinking. Our actions matter. It takes conscious, consistent, and creative effort to make a life worth living. This podcast is about how other people keep themselves moving in the right direction, how they feed their good wolf. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Our guest today is Jessica Hagee, an artist and writer best known for her award-winning blog, Indexed. A feature in the creative online space, Jessica has been illustrating, consulting, and speaking since 2006. Her latest book is called How to Be Interesting, and she recently produced a series of illustrations for Forbes magazine based on the classic Art of War. Hi, Eric and Chris. Hi there. Thanks for doing this. Sure, sure. Thanks for having me. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. So our podcast is based on the old parable where there's a grandfather who is talking with his grandson and he says to him, in life there are two wolves inside of us that are always battling. Uh, One is a good wolf, uh, represents kindness and love and peace, and the other is a bad wolf, which represents self-pity, hatred, greed, uh, name your poison. The grandson thinks for a second and says to his, his grandfather, well, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. So that's the premise of our podcast. So I'd like to start off by asking you, what does that parable mean to you? And how does it uh, influence both your life and your work? As far as sort of a life philosophy, I've always, whenever I heard Jeremy Bentham's happiness principle, which is the greatest good for the greatest number of people is what you should do. It's sort of like a guiding humanist thought. That's what I always thought of as like, that is, when in doubt, go with that. And so sort of thinking of what should I do, what should I do here, it's what makes the most people happy. And so sort of guiding there is the best answer. And usually that ends up being something that's not necessarily greedy, but it's greedy in a long-term way as opposed to like short-term quick quick jabs and things like that. That, that's an interesting we had a uh, we had another author and musician on a couple of weeks ago and, and when we talked about it to him he his his thing he said was you know feeding the good wolf for him was really about how did he find time to do the work or the art in this case and we got into a conversation about how 
Uh, short term, a lot of times it's easier to, to, to do what the people around you want you to do short term because that makes a short term happiness. But the long term greater good comes from pursuing that thing that is yours. And your book, um, you know, How to Be Interesting really t- touches on that an awful lot about how do you find that thing that is yours? Um, how do you pursue it despite what what other people around you might be saying or what the the crowd is saying and and how that sort of does leave lead to the the greatest good yeah a lot of times it's weird the crowd doesn't want other people to be happy it's sort of a the bitter voice rises above the really like encouraging ones so often and i don't know why that is i think we hear compliments and we dismiss them but we hear we hear an insult and it, we carry it with us for just years and getting getting through that and really thinking like what's encouraging and what's the good thing that's really hard sometimes, but if people can do that, then it, it saves everybody a lot of hassle. That's the bad wolf being very powerful. Yeah, the bad wolf tends to get a lot of press, and I don't know why that is, because I think people like like that sort of like gossip nastiness, but that's that's not as fun, even for a minute, I guess. I think he gets a lot of press because he looks like Brad Pitt. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just a parable, but that's what I've heard. When I pictured the the two wolves that you guys have, I pictured one as sort of like old and sort of like afflicted with scurvy and like in rags with a big stick and sort of like gray teeth and yellow eyes and just scowling. And the good wolf seemed really young and quiet and sort of hiding behind a tree, like a little kid instead of an old man. Interesting, you were saying about the 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 bad wolf um, and those voices somewhere in your book, and I don't. I was trying to find it. I can't find it exactly, but you talk about um, you know working on improving your thoughts about yourself, and you have a quote that's really interesting where you say, uh, "And caution, this could take years." Oh yeah, it, that's ignoring the people who are who are nasty and sort of that old wolf sort of tone, and when you hear hear nasty words, you almost associate like a halitosis or a sickness with it. And when, as soon as you get that sense of things to sort of mix up your senses is when you should run away. That, that bad smell is just. It it almost makes it a a comedic when someone is saying something to you like that and you think of it like bad breath, it sort of take, could help take some of the sting away. Yeah. There's another part where you talk about, um, you know, you've got a little one that says just, you know, basically do something, anything. It doesn't really so much matter, um, you know, if you're spending all your time thinking about what you should be doing versus just doing something. Um, sort of the old, uh, you know, as, as as being an entrepreneur for years, the saying is, um, you know, ready, fire, aim, right? It's It's just make something happen. Oh, totally. And I see that so much with my artist friends who have a thousand ideas and a thousand different ways to make make beautiful, wonderful, fantastic objects and things. And if they just picked one thing and send an email to 10 people, they'd be so much better off than making 10 things and never telling anything, anybody about any other things they did. It's just sort of like take something and run with it, and odds are it'll be great because if you like it, somebody else will too. So tell me a little bit about how you, your, your creative process. Do you make yourself sit down and try and sketch out 10 index cards and you find one that's good? Do the ideas come to you? Can you talk a little bit about how that works for you and maybe how it's changed over time? Yeah, when I first started it, I was, uh, I was going to school at night for my MBA because I was working as a copywriter and my brain was going to mush because I was just sort of over and over and over again 
repeating headlines and repeating sort of like cliches and ways to lines that would get approved. And I knew I needed something else because like part of my brain felt like it was atrophying in some way. And I was taking a finance class and everything was expressed in these charts. And I was like, you can tell the whole world's history in these weird little charts. So I started jotting them down and I'd read around the same time that every writer needs a blog. So I put those two things together so I wouldn't have to write about what I had for breakfast or how my commute went. And it just sort of took off. And over time, I realized that charts and graphs are basically sentence structures and they have their own sort of visual grammar. So the is symbol isn't its, the equal sign is, is the verb of being. So equals is is, be, all of that. Venn diagrams are basically sentences with conjunctions and X, Y axes are A causes B, uh, subject predicates. So if you can use the English language, you can use a lot of graphs. And over time, it's gotten easier for me to take sentences I hear as sentences in my head and turn them into graphs. I will say it now, and it'll be in the show notes, but people should definitely be going out and, uh, and looking at your, your things. And one of, your, one of the favorite ones that you've done that I've got hanging on my, uh, on my uh, wall in my office is the one that's got two circles. And one is a, a little one, and it's got an arrow going to it saying your comfort zone. And the other is the big circle that says where the magic happens. And it's that sort of you know, constant reminder that... Um, if, if we spend all our time being comfortable, nothing really special happens. And I think at least for me and a lot of people I know, we tend to equate comfort with uh, happiness and they are not the same thing. And uh, I love the way you sort of diagram that here. And, and a lot of the book really seems to sort of be about pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and out of sort of um, the same habitual repeated patterns and, and finding variety in in life yeah i think that that diagram itself went all over the place and one of the things i actually thought about when i was trying to draw up that idea was the idea of inertia which is when you start going in one direction it's easy to stay that way but if you think about it when you make any one direction you have out of 360 degrees you're taking one degree and there are 359 degrees that you didn't take and to ponder some of those every now and then, I think is not only healthy, but it's really comforting because you don't have to stay on the direction you're on. You can always pivot around and spin that circle a different way. Do you want to spend a, a couple minutes and, and talk through some of the uh, key points in your sort of how to be interesting? What are a couple of the, the uh, key? You've got 10 steps. You want to maybe share a couple of them with us? Absolutely. I think the most... The most important one is probably the first one, which is go exploring. And people a lot of times think that means I have to quit my job and buy a boat and circumnavigate the globe and learn five languages and go to 10 countries and figure out how to fall in love with people of 10 different races and backgrounds and take up five different jobs. And it's so much smaller and more palatable than that. It's that if you just sort of go outside and listen a little bit more, you'll find out so many other things. And a good exploration doesn't mean decades spent off doing something else. It could just mean 10 minutes listening to a station you don't otherwise or talking to someone you otherwise wouldn't have spoken with. It's just sort of veering from what you're doing just a little bit, and it doesn't have to be painful. Okay, so that's step one. How about, um, how about step seven? Give it a shot. Yeah, that is, that is one thing I found through the Internet that is the most amazing thing. 
first of all, everybody has an email address. And if you can find anybody in the world, anybody you like or want to talk to or want to meet, and you can find their email address, you can connect with them almost immediately. And now you can do that with with Twitter and Facebook and all these other things. And everyone is literally fingertips away from you. And you can find advice, help, anything from anybody in literally seconds. And people a lot of times are so afraid to do that that they don't. And when the people actually do, they get through a lot more than you think they would. So just even taking a shot and reaching out, the first step is huge. It is kind of amazing how how close everybody is if you, you – you at least have a shot to talk to a lot of people. Although the person I really want to talk to, and I, I don't know that he's got an email address, or if he does, he probably doesn't check it very often, is Leonard Cohen. So if you come across Leonard Cohen's uh, email address, anybody listening to this, uh, send it my way. I'm sure we can make that happen. Yeah, he's uh, – when he's not writing songs, he's often on a on a mountain somewhere meditating. But we'll we'll track him down sooner or later for the show. Even if he just gets a note that's like, "Yep, heard you. Thanks for that." I mean, wouldn't that be oh. that be sort of an accomplishment in and of itself? Yes, it it definitely would. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Can you tell us a little bit about how this book came to be? Oh, yeah. This is kind of a weird story. So I write for Forbes, which Forbes is fantastic saying like, oh, yeah, come post what you want to think about and we'll help share it with the world. So at the time I was living in London and I was putting things together and one of the things that kept coming up was, okay, there's only so much time in the day and what is the best, what is the the biggest business virtue that anyone can have at this point in time? And it wasn't being nice and it wasn't being skilled and it wasn't being anything other than being really interesting. So sort of a tongue-in-cheek like, here's how to be interesting. And I threw it up on Forbes and it, I put it up in October of 2011 and around New Year's, a lot of people sort of latched on to be, I'm going to be interesting as a New Year's resolution, which sounds bizarre. But it just started to go everywhere, and people started to forward it around and share it, and it got all these crazy hits. And so then we put it together as a book and expanded on the idea, and people really run with it. And it's been it's been a lot of fun because the more I think about it, it really is it's true. If you're not interesting, you're going to be overlooked for pretty much everything. From do you want to go to lunch to do you want this job to do you want to be president of whatever country you live in and. It's a fun word. It's a loaded word. 
more and more it does seem that as the noise level increases, as everybody can talk to everybody and the noise level increases, and this is nothing new, everybody talks about this, just how you do have to find a way to stand out and how being yourself is probably the, the, the best way to do that. Um, but I think for a lot of people that still remains very challenging and even finding out who or what that is, what is, is, uh, is that process of discovery part of what you are leading people through in the book? A little bit. I think the book really is sort of pokes at without directly stabbing at the idea of vulnerability, which is if you can just let what your natural inclinations are lead you, you'll be more likely to become an interesting person than if you were to sort of go with the flow and behave yourself and sort of mask the things that sort of stand out to you while you're rolling along in the flow of everything else. And really being yourself is a lot harder these days than you think because so many people have this idea of what they're supposed to look like and dress like and talk like and sound like and tweet like and everything else. And even finding a minute variation in that anymore is becoming incredibly difficult. We started off by talking about feeding the good wolf for you was sort of the idea of the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And I'm interested in how that, how you see that tying into a lot of um, what you're talking about in the book and your work, which is really about finding out who you are and not going with sort of the crowd and the, and the greatest, uh, the number of people. How does that work its way back around to being the greatest good for the greatest number of people? Uh, when I was writing advertising, I was writing for J.P. Morgan Chase. And I was writing a lot of brochures about home equity lines of credit. And I was writing about how subprime mortgages are the best thing that ever happened to you, how you can get whatever you need right now if you just refinance your life. And something about that, even before everything crashed, just felt kind of weird. And even if I was getting a paycheck and doing what I was supposed to do work-wise, it was still kind of sketchy. And I couldn't really articulate why it was sketchy, because people would just sort of be like, it's a bank. What are you doing? And guessing at what's more fun is just sharing fun ideas and being, if nothing else, benign as opposed to negative out there. And at this point in my career, I get to be positive, if not benign. And I count that as a win. The uh, One of the things that, as we've talked to more people about this, that seems to come up about feeding your good wolf is that it takes, it takes help that, um, that a lot of us tend to fall into, uh, sort of habitual patterns or a lot of the things that you're even talking about here take a lot of bravery and courage. Can you talk a little bit about the help that you get in your life? Um, whether it be in the past or now for people who sort of help you to feed your good wolf? Absolutely. And the one thing I have to say is more than any other venue, the internet and as much as you can be afraid of the internet and the bad, sketchy folks out there, it's full of good people, too. And when you reach out and you say, here's me, here's what I care about, good people will reach out to you. And so if in, if in your life you're sort of being bombarded and you're beaten down and you're sort of just listening to negative voices, there are really good people on the internet who will encourage you and say, no, this is good. This is a good idea. This is, this, this is useful. Keep doing this. And at the time I started, I was just sort of living in this sort of miasmic, bubbling, blah, work, 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 go to sleep, go to school, go to work, 
pile. And the internet really gave me a sort of outlet to be like, no, this is bigger than that. You can be, you can be smarter than that. You can be better than that. You can do other things. And the encouragement you find from strangers can do a lot, even if in your day-to-day life, you're sort of being beaten down and told to behave and all of those nasty things. Did that even answer the question or did I talk myself in a circle? No, it sort of did. My question follow-on would be, did how has that sort of finding people who are supportive virtually, how does that translate into finding people in your physical life that are that are supportive? Does that so say say you start from a place where maybe you don't have a lot of that, you find that sort of support uh, on the internet or virtually. Do you do you find that that's over time starts to translate into your real life or your your physical life? Absolutely. There are so many people that I knew from the internet that once I met in person, it was just like, oh, it's you. You're one of my best friends in the world and I've never met you. And now I have to hug you and we have to do everything together. And they aren't just on the internet. There are real people out there too. And you can pick up the phone, you can pick up the Skype, you can get on a plane, you can go to whatever meetup or conference or crazy thing where all these people actually are. And when you meet them, you will feel so relieved. It's insane. Because everybody really is, everybody has a tribe out there. And all you need are two or three or four people. And you're unstoppable. That's one of the things about the internet that just, I I love. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people often talk about one of the things you can do to sort of feed your good wolf is, is to do sort of gratitude or think about gratitude. And one of the things that I just, every time I think about gratitude, I think about the internet. It just blows me away how wonderful and, and amazing it is. And, and how I sometimes think about what my life would have been like, because I'm a little bit older, if the internet had been around when I was a teenager, you know, if I could have found and reached out broader than sort of the small area that, and people that we, that, you know, that I was surrounded by, if, you know, had the whole world been sort of available at that point, what that would have been like. And I do think it's really exciting. And you hear these really touching stories about, you know, people who are somewhat isolated in some way, whether they live in a small town or, and they, they are able to connect to something bigger than themselves outside of that in the internet. And it is really transforming for them. I think for every story of bullying or kitty porn or weirdness or like Chris Hansen, like, please sit down, have a cookie, stories you find out there, there are 10, 100, 1,000 other stories of people who were like, I met my true love online. I met people who made everything happen for, for me online. I found my new job online. I figured out how to get my life on track online. And it's not just pixels. It's real people behind it. And I think that's the power of it. Yeah, I think one of the, in your acknowledgments you have in, in the book, you've got a great chart that sort of, uh, again, it's going to fail trying to describe it, but it's, uh, it's basically your thanks internet chart, you know, that it shows that the, the more you can do more things and you can know more people, uh, as a result of the internet. And I think certainly that's, uh, you know, that's why we're talking. Well, yeah. I mean, half the time I'll get an email from somebody that's like, so have you heard about this or do you know anybody about this? I'll be like, yes, I do. And I have nothing to do with that, but I know somebody who does and I can play matchmaker. And if I get to play matchmaker once a day online through my silly Yahoo email address, I've done all sorts of good. What's next for you? So you've, you've done this book, uh, you've been running the, uh, 
the This Is Indexed blog for a long time. What's the next uh, next big project? Uh, right now, I am illustrating Sun Tzu's Art of War, which sounds very antagonistic and weird. But when you really read it, the whole idea behind it is the more you think, the less you fight. And so taking that entirely old, really, I am an MBA, watch me destroy title and turning it into something a lot more thoughtful and a lot more useful is really fun for me. So that is up on Forbes too. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Less crankiness, more marveling, right? That's your line. Yeah, I think, I think there's a, the whole idea of, what is it? Bark less, purr more, or something like that. I've seen it on bumper stickers where it's just sort of stop complaining and really think about what's going on. And you know what? It's not so bad anyway. And the more you get on that, the better, the better you feel. Because I can, my husband calls it my worst case scenario brain where I can take something that's minorly irritating or awful and just spin it into, okay, this is the worst case scenario. Our house is going to implode. I'm going to die. A tumor is going to spring out of my brain. Everything's going to go to hell. We're all going to get arrested. And really you can just step back and say, no, actually it's, it's going to be fine. And getting to that point is hard, but it's healthier. And so how do you do that? Because that is the, that does seem to be for, you know, as we've talked to people and we've sort of explored this theme, that is, you know, the the, the bad wolf's uh, biggest uh, job is that sort of internal negative self-talk, it, it, whether it's uh, impending doom or you're not good enough or all those different things. So how, how do you battle that sort of day-to-day? Um, did you, have you found that over time it just sort of goes away because you've, you've sort of trained it? What, what's been your experience with that? I am battling imposter syndrome every step of everything. It's always sort of, you're just a fraud and you just got away with this and you're just lucky because somebody linked to it and you just, you just sort of got away with this and you're just sort of this dumb person who's throwing things on the internet and you're not really smart at all and blah. And I can talk myself into that corner until I'm just like, ooh. And even when you stack up, I did this and I did that and I accomplished this and I moved over here and I did this and this and this and this and this. No matter how big the stack is, there's still that voice in the back of your head that's saying, yeah, you're just a fraud. You just got away with it. And I don't know if that will ever go away, but you really have to keep eroding it every day. It's sort of a tidal thing, like the sand comes up and the sand comes out and you just have to sort of keep plowing ahead. I don't think I'll ever be really confident in what I'm doing. I just have to keep trying to earn what I, where I am. I think we all suffer from that to one degree or the other. But in my book, you deserve all the success that you've had. 
So uh, with that, we are out of time. So Jessica, I want to thank you for being on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to have you. I encourage people to uh, check out your work online. And thank you very much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Night. You can find out more about Jessica and her great illustrations in our show notes at oneufeed.net slash Jessica.